0: Exceptional Marcus Piers, rock star Damien Christoph. The Wellness Summit is almost upon us and we have so many prizes and giveaways before the summit even begins this year, MP. That's right, Damo. There's a very exciting Facebook giveaway running this week only over at the Wellness Couch. One of our new exhibitors at this year's summit is Solid Technics cast iron and beautiful non-stick cookware. And they are giving away over $400 in prizes to one lucky Wellness Couch listener. All you need to do is go to the Wellness Couch's Facebook page and follow the prompts. The lucky winner will also receive a double pass to this year's Wellness Summit September 10-11 at the Melbourne Convention and Exhibition
1: Centre. How cool is that?
0: So go check out the Wellness Couch on Facebook to enter and remember to immerse yourself in 16 hours of powerhouse wellness with Damo, myself and over 40 other health and wellness experts. Go to thewellnesssummit.com and enter the code Solid Summit for $100 off your ticket before they sell out. That's thewellnesssummit.com If you love the show, then please leave us a review on iTunes. Share the Real Food Reel with your friends and continue to spread the Real Food Love.
1: Hi, team, and welcome back to the Real Food Reel. Today on the show, we are joined by Dr. Peter Bruckner, sport and exercise medicine physician. Professor of Sports Medicine at La Trobe University and Physician for the Australian National Cricket Team. Many of you may be familiar with the doc from his feature in the documentary Serial Killers as he has transformed his own health and works with a low-carb, high-fat principles. Let's find out more and welcome Dr. Bookman to the show. Hi, Peter, and thanks for being here.
0: My pleasure, Steph. Looking forward to it.
1: Absolutely. So let's start with some background information on yourself, um, just a little bit of your career history to date and where you're focusing your time now.
0: Okay. Well, uh, as you mentioned, I'm a sport and exercise physician. So uh, I'm, I specialize in sports medicine, have done for 30 odd years, um, worked at a uh, multidisciplinary sports medicine clinic in, in Melbourne called uh, Olympic Park Sports Medicine Centre. We started that uh, 30 years ago and it's uh, still going strong. Um, and uh, I've worked with a whole series of different uh, sporting teams over the years, from AFL teams to national uh, sporting teams, done a couple of Olympic Games, Commonwealth Games and so on, um, did the Socceroos at the 2010 World Cup and then went from there to uh, to England and worked for a couple of years at the Liverpool Football Club as a head of sports medicine and sports science. And for the last three years I've been the team doctor for the Australian cricket team. So uh, um, that keep keeps me reasonably busy. Cricket is almost a full time uh, 12 months 12-month-of-the-year occupation these days. I've cut back a little bit this year because I'm uh, focusing on, uh, I I have a textbook of sports medicine that's uh, pretty popular, it's been around for 20 years or so, so we're updating that and uh, I'm also focusing on uh, on more of a nutrition uh, component to my my life, I guess, and um, that's I guess what we're here to talk about.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So 30 years, obviously, um, you would have seen some huge changes in, um, obviously, science and the way that you practice. Tell us a little bit about your own health journey and then how you came across low-carb, high-fat and the results of that.
0: Yeah, sure. Look, I've always been a bit interested in nutrition. In fact, I co-authored the first sports nutrition book in Australia with Karen Inge, a well-known dietitian. Uh, Again, back in nearly 30 years ago now, Um, but to be honest, I'd sort of got a bit bored with sports nutrition and so on because it was all just about carbs and carbs and carbs and Gatorade and Powerade and all those sort of things, Um, but um, my own health, um, I guess, uh, like so many middle-aged men, I just sort of gradually uh, put on weight um, over you know probably half a kilogram a year over 30 years to the point where... Four years ago, when I uh, when I turned sixty, I was um, you know probably fifteen you know twelve or fifteen kilograms overweight. Um, I, in retrospect, I was clearly pre-diabetic. I had uh, high insulin levels. I had high triglycerides. I had a fatty liver. Um, But you know, to all intents and purposes, I was quite healthy, and I was doing regular exercise, and I was eating what was. I was supposed to eat you know, what I thought I was supposed to eat—a nice, low-fat, you know, lots of uh, lots of complex carbohydrates—and I uh, love my pasta and rice and been like that. And uh, and yet, I still continued to put on weight. And uh, so that was me, age 60, which was the age my father had developed uh, type 2 diabetes. So I was pretty conscious of uh, not wanting to go down that uh, that track. And um, so, in that uh, around that time, I uh, I heard uh, from my old friend Tim Noakes who's a professor of sports medicine at uh, Cape Town University who many of uh, your listeners would uh, have heard, heard of he's been really one of the, the pioneers of this whole movement and uh, and uh, I've known Tim for years we shared uh, speaking platforms at conferences and so on and uh, and uh, around that time uh, Tim sort of uh, came out as I say uh, not in the way <laughs> other people came, come out these days but uh, he came out he's always been a, a high you know proponent of high carbohydrates and he came out and said no I was wrong. Um, carbohydrates are actually uh, not the way to go. And he'd converted himself, he developed type 2 diabetes and uh, changed his diet to a, to a low carb, high healthy fat diet and had made huge differences to his own health. And uh, he was now advocating that. And I thought, oh boy, that's interesting. You know, he's uh, a guy who I have really admired his intellect, very smart guy, and um, been right a number of times before when he challenged sort of uh, preconceived uh, ideas. Yeah. And um, I thought, gee, that's interesting. So, uh, I thought I'd better look into this a little bit, and so I bought a book um, by about Gary Taubes called "Good Calories, Bad Calories," and uh, started reading that book. And uh, that book just blew me away. I mean, I couldn't believe that, uh, what I was reading because it, it not only sort of talks about the science or the, the relative uh, pros and cons of of low carb and low fat, but it talked about the politics about how the low-fat low movement basically won out over the low-carb movement um, back in the sort of uh, 70s and 80s, which had very little to do with science and a lot to do with the money and agriculture and uh, and US business and so on. And I remember, you know, every night, at the end of every day, I'd sort of finish reading, put this book down, and I'd, I'd say to myself, no, this couldn't be right. You know, we couldn't have got this wrong for 30 years, such a basic thing that the whole world, the whole Western world was on a, a low-fat diet. You know, we couldn't possibly have got it wrong, and yet... There was more and more evidence in, in this book, and then I started reading other papers and scientific journals and read probably 30 books and a few hundred uh, journal articles. And the more I read, the more I... It was quite... I found it quite disturbing, really, that uh, you know, we might have got this, uh, this wrong. Anyway, so I thought uh, the ultimate test was to, was to try it out myself. And
1: uh, I think
0: as scientists, we all know that uh, N equals one experiments are quite useless, uh, uh, with the exception being when the one is you, and then they become very important. And uh, so I... Uh, I did that. I took to get all my blood tests done, um, you know, before I started the the test, and that confirmed my fatty liver and my high triglycerides and my high insulin and so on. And I went pretty strict low carb, high fat for uh, thirteen weeks. Um, cut out all the usual things, you know, uh, rice, pasta, bread, potatoes, um, fruit juice, uh, and and replaced them with with healthy fats. You know, lots of eggs and bacon and. Uh, And fish and uh, nuts and avocado and so on. I had a few little indulgences, you know. I'd have the odd glass of red wine. I stopped beer. I have never been a big drinker, but I I stopped drinking beer and and replaced it with red wine. A little bit of dark chocolate, but uh, and that was about my only uh, my only indulgences. And uh, in that 13 weeks, I lost 13 kilograms, and I just couldn't believe it. I mean, just every week I'd hop on the scales and uh, just couldn't believe it. I felt great and. The first thing I noticed really was that I completely lost my appetite. Yeah. You know, whereas previously I'd have my muesli for breakfast, and you know, by eleven thirty, you'd be looking at your watch, saying, oh, God, it must be lunchtime now." You know, and um, um, and really, I had uh, you know, I just wasn't hungry, and uh, went down from eating you know three meals plus a few snacks during the day to one to two meals a day, um, and can honestly say, in four years, I've, I haven't really been hungry, and. Uh, yeah. Um, often, you know, even now, still eat, you know, out of social uh, necessity rather than uh, rather than hunger, and uh, so that really struck me. Uh, and my uh, exercise capacity improved, and uh, you know, obviously with uh, with you know 13 kilograms off, uh, I felt pretty good, and it was very motivating when you kept losing weight like that. And so at the end of that 13 weeks, I thought, well, I'll just uh, back off a little bit. Uh, you know, my family kept telling me I was looking too skinny and uh, in the face and so on, but. Uh, um, I repeated my bloods and uh, that had a dramatic improvement. My uh, insulin had gone down by half, my triglycerides were, were back to normal and uh, my fatty liver which I'd had for 10 years or so on blood tests, um, uh, that's a condition where you get an infiltration of, of fat in, in your liver and it's thought to be a precursor of, uh, of diabetes and so on, that had completely normalized in 13 weeks and I'd had it for, for 10 years. and uh, I couldn't, You know, I was just amazed and uh, felt great. Um, there's one big disadvantage was that I had to get a new wardrobe because yes. I had uh, two sizes in uh, trousers. But I figured that was a small price to pay. So, so that was really my, uh, you know, my uh, eureka moment. And um, I continued to, to read a lot, uh, write a lot, and became very passionate about uh, this whole concept and trying to convince my fellow medical practitioners and uh, and the rest of uh, of the world that uh, we we're on the wrong track and it was time to, to change and stop uh, stop having so many unhealthy carbs and replace them with healthy fats.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And how have you gone? Like we touched on briefly before the show, you know, that we are seeing these slow, steady changes. Uh, We also know that poor Tim Noakes has been the subject of significant criticism and even, you know, legal trials. Um, What's been your experience in Australia with your peers and have you had any challenges spreading the message that you can share?
0: Oh, constantly. You know, they yes. all think I've lost my marbles. Right. And, uh, um, yeah, there's a lot of resistance to this. Um, two main groups that are really resistant, one is the doctors um, because, uh, you know, we've been taught uh, the same thing for all this time and, and we're a very conservative profession and, and I'm I'm the same. I'm very conservative and... Uh, And you know, reluctant to embrace uh, you know fads or new ideas or anything like that. I mean, I remember you know always being very critical of people over on so-called fad diets. I mean, I don't really consider this a diet. You know, I just consider this is this the way I've chosen to live, really. And uh, um, yeah, so doctors uh, you know think you're slightly crazy. Um, What I do with uh, with my medical friends is if they talk to me about it, just you know, it's been a fairly dramatic weight loss, and a lot of people come up to me and say, oh, you know. You look great, you know, and must have meant I looked pretty bad beforehand. But, uh, you know, you look great and you've lost all this weight. You know, what happened? And, and then you start talking about this, uh, you know, low carb, high fat, and you can see them sort of switch off and think, oh, this guy's, you know, talking rubbish and you know, it's crazy and so on. So what I do with my medical colleagues is that I say to them, okay, would you read a book? And yeah. they all say yes, because, you know, you have to say you can read a book. And um, and I uh, I send them a copy of uh, Nina Tysholtz's uh, Big Fat Surprise, which I think is uh, the best book uh, that I've read, probably even a little bit better. Gary Thomas's book was the first one I read, but I think Nina's is even better. Mm-hmm. And uh, I send it to them. I pay for it, and I send it to them. Uh, I buy the books 10 at a time from, uh, from Amazon and um, mm-hmm. um, send them out to my colleagues. Uh, that's my little bit to, uh, you know, to convince the medical profession. And everyone I've sent it to, has become convinced, it's quite uh, quite amazing. You just have to read a book like that and uh, it's very hard not to be to be convinced. But still the, the profession is very uh, anti there. They're okay with reducing carbs. Uh, obviously they're, they're okay with reducing sugar and refined carbs, but uh, they still think that there are lots of uh, healthy carbs and healthy grains and so on. And uh, they're absolutely uh, adamant that, that saturated fat is uh, is bad for you, and yet you know all the evidence now. There are now numerous studies and numerous uh, meta analyses and reviews and so on that clearly show saturated fat is uh, is not unhealthy. Um, certainly, there are you know fats that are un- are unhealthy, the trans fats and so on, but uh, not saturated fat. But that's a it's very hard. You know, it's, it, we're very reluctant to change uh, our ideas. And there's a there's a great saying that. Uh, Fifty percent of everything you get taught in medical school is wrong. You just have to work out which fifty percent that is, and uh, you know this is part of the fifty percent I think. And uh, my medical colleagues are, uh, are reluctant to embrace, but they're coming around slowly. And the dietitians are the other group who are very entrenched in their uh, in their uh, I guess belief that uh, that carbs are fine and, and saturated fat is bad. So uh, look, you know. Ultimately, science will win because there's enough science out there now uh, to show to prove these uh, these points. It's just a matter of uh, of getting it out there and, and fighting against all the vested interests that are trying to preserve the uh, the status quo.
1: Yeah, and that's why we're so grateful that you're really passionate about spreading this message, especially being very much connected to obviously the, the medical doctors, which are unfortunately largely perpetuating the saturated fat heart health myth, which doesn't help us at all when we try and encourage people to eat these natural whole foods. People, I guess the patients, um, you know, I'd like to think that they have enough common sense to look at whole foods and appreciate that nothing that nature is providing us can do harm. But obviously when that GP is overriding that message, that's where the, the myths of the last five decades just continue to be perpetuated.
0: Yeah, it's very difficult. I mean, I think uh, you know. I think now we're challenging the whole uh, cholesterol uh, theory that it's not nearly as simple as, as everyone made out, and, and uh, you know, it's now been shown that cholesterol-containing foods are not uh, are not harmful. Um, so, look, there's a lot of uh, a lot of things uh, gradually changing, but uh, yeah, the uh, the doctors are being dragged uh, kicking and screaming into it. I'm, I'm afraid, but uh, look, you know, I I sort of have faith in my profession and that ultimately. Uh, you know the message will will get through, but it's going to take uh, it's going to take some time. Um, I think you know that the simple thing uh, initially probably that everyone agrees on is sugar. So I'm sort of focusing uh, in the short term largely on uh, on sugar. And in fact, we're about to launch a national uh, campaign um, to reduce uh, sugar intake. And um, you know I think most people will, uh, even that you know the doctors and the dietitians are, are happy to sort of uh, embrace the. The, uh, the reduced sugar cam- component and I think, you know, we, we can then progress from there, even if we ju- can just do that, I mean, that would make a massive difference to the health of, of Australians. I mean, we have epidemics at the moment in this country and, and all Western countries of, of obesity, type 2 diabetes, tooth decay, fatty liver and so on and, and, uh, and these are destroying the, uh, the health of our society and they're going to bankrupt our medic- uh, Medicare systems. Um, and uh, they're growing at a rapid rate, and, and I think if we can, as a first step, reduce uh, sugar and refined carbohydrates, and and point out to people the uh, the hidden sugars. You know, I think everyone knows that you only put a teaspoon of sugar in, in your coffee, but uh, and most people get the fact that the sugar sweetened drinks, you know, the uh, the the soft drinks and so on have a fair amount of, they have a lot of sugar in them. But it's all those hidden sources of sugar, you know, like the fruit juices and, uh, and sauces and, and different processed foods. I mean, uh, you know, two-thirds of processed foods have added sugar uh, because, you know, we take the fat out of them and we put to, put sugar in for for taste. And uh, people have got to be made aware of that and, and realize that they're actually, without even realizing it, they're uh, they're consuming a lot more sugar than they can be. So I figure that's the first step. And then we'll move on to, uh, you know, to the, the other messages uh, a bit later on. But uh you know, I'm, I'm very, you know, you're right, I am very passionate about it. I, I think it's the most important thing uh, in health at the moment. It's the biggest health issue that we have uh, because if we don't do something soon, we're going to have this massive, if uh, we haven't already got it, this massive problem with type 2 diabetes and all its complications. It's not just the diabetes, but it's the cardiovascular disease, the, uh, you know, the amputations, the blindness, the kidney problems that, uh, that occur as a result of, uh, of type 2 diabetes. And it just put enormous uh, both personal and, and uh, community burden On the on the health, so uh, it's really important. I just think I can't think of anything more important in health at the moment than uh, than reducing sugar and uh, and and processed carbohydrates.
1: Yeah, I like that focus. It's a great way to get the GPs and dieticians on board because you know the science is very clear as to the negative impact of refined sugar. Um, And then if we, you know, obviously slowly can start to change the, the, the full message. Um, you know, at least we're starting somewhere and avoiding those barriers of the past. Um, and I think there's been this significant cognitive dissonance of our intake affecting our metabolism or our metabolic profile. It's almost like this, it won't happen to me. Um, and we continue to eat, you know, in abundance of 20 teaspoons of sugar a day in Australia on average. And... There's this massive disconnect, and that that's actually the pathway to type two diabetes, and that it's reversible with real food.
0: Yeah, that's right. I mean, unfortunately, we've been sending the wrong message, and that, that you know that fat's been the uh, the issue, whereas really it's, uh, it's it's sugar and processed carbohydrates, and that, that's what causes the uh, the obesity and the uh, and the type two diabetes. And we've just got to slowly uh, you know try and turn that that message around and. Uh, and, and what we have on our side is the science and, and, and there's uh, there's very good science now to, to show that, that uh that, that is the case and we've just got to keep uh, keep pushing that uh, that science and, uh, and and you know there are so many uh you know anecdotal uh so many people you know write to me. I got a, got an email yesterday from someone who'd sort of uh read something I'd I, I done and, 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 you know, lost 12 kilograms and, you know, felt fantastic and resumed playing sport and, and all these sort of things. And this, this is, happens the whole time. Um, so gradually there are going to be enough people out there, I hope, that, uh, you know, can see their friends or see their colleagues uh, benefiting from this uh, this change in, in diet and change in lifestyle um, to convince them to try it themselves. But, you know, we're very good at denial and we're very good at pretending, you know, we haven't got a problem and, and you know, um, and I was the same, you know, I was, uh, you know, middle-aged and clearly overweight and... Uh, but, you know, ignoring it really or, or partly because I didn't know, you know, what the solution was. I thought I was doing the right things, you know, and uh, and yet, you know, it turns out I was doing exactly the wrong thing. So uh, that's what we've got to educate. Uh, it's all about education, I think, and, and showing people the right way to uh, to go about things because, and, and as I said before, this is not a, you know, I don't see this as a fad diet. I mean, the opponents of this try and say, oh, it's just another fad diet. I mean, it's, it's, it's not, you know, it's just a... A way of living, I think, that uh, of eating real food—the way our grandparents used to, uh, to eat. You know, if, if you ask our, our grandparents' generation, you know, why people get fat, they they can tell you. You know, too many starchy and sweet foods. You know, and uh, um, we've lost—you know—we seem to have lost that message over the last couple of generations. So we need to get back to just eating real food. You know, eating uh, good, healthy, uh, real food.
1: Um, so I just wanted to ask whether. You know how you've changed your practice, and if you've got some results with other the, the athletes that you've worked with, or some significant um, comments to make on how different it is practicing this message. Yeah.
0: Okay. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, I can certainly talk about uh, you know people. To, and you know, do you want to get onto the sort of the whole athlete thing, and you know the low carb for athletes? and Yes.
1: So on? Let's do that.
0: Okay. Fine. Okay. All right. Fire away.
1: Um, yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think real food is as simple as that and it's not a fad. It's it's something that we all should be doing for today and certainly our health tomorrow. So what I wanted to move on to next was for you to share your experience with um, how your practice has changed. So the fact that you now share this message with the people that come to see you um, and then your experience with the athletes that you've worked with. Yeah, well,
0: I certainly, uh, you know, this has become a big part of my practice. I think because I think the uh, the importance of nutrition it, it, it's it's important in all sorts of uh, areas of medicine. It's not just sort of weight loss or, or diabetes, but uh, I think uh, there are lots of uh, other benefits to uh, uh, improving your diet. I mean, one of the things that we find in, in my area of sports medicine is that a lot of uh, conditions are as a result of inflammation. And, um, you know, there's now pretty good evidence that there are a number of factors that promote inflammation, um, one of which is, uh, is sugar and, and uh, processed carbohydrates, and they seem to, uh, to have a significant effect on, on increasing inflammation. And so uh, those people who do have uh, things like osteoarthritis and, and uh, tendon pain and so on, I encourage them as part of their treatment. It's not, obviously not the only part of their, their treatment, but uh, as part of their treatment to reduce the, uh, the inflammatory foods, if you like, um, particularly the, the sugars and, and processed carbohydrates. So, uh, so it has become part of my uh, my sports medicine practice as well as uh, uh, as well as my you know general sort of uh, lifestyle practice. The other interesting thing that uh, that you know always used to sort of uh, puzzle me was that so many you know serious athletes who are training very hard are actually a little bit overweight and. Um, you know, you you just got to look at the starting line of a marathon or or a triathlon or something like that, and, and you know there are there are lots of people there who are a little bit overweight, not grossly overweight usually, but you know, usually three, four, five kilograms overweight, and and I I have found the same thing even with uh, you know players like the Australian cricketers and and uh, and other professional athletes who are um, you know despite. All their exercise, and despite uh, you know supposedly eating the right sort of uh, things with lots of uh, carbohydrates and so on, uh, find it hard to lose uh, those extra few uh, few kilograms that uh, that help them perform. So uh, the, that group of people have benefited certainly from uh, reducing the amount of carbohydrates and especially simple carbohydrates that they uh, that they have, and uh, and in some cases replacing them with some uh, some healthy fats. So we've had some uh, success with uh, with a whole range of different. Uh, Athletes, both from a weight loss point of view, and also in reducing some of the symptoms of their uh, of their inflammation uh, and uh, their different types of uh, inflammatory conditions such as arthritis and so on. So it's been quite uh, quite rewarding in that in that regard. So I I counsel uh, most of the of the people that I uh, that I talk to um, into uh, at least just you know reducing some of the uh, the more inflammatory components such as the sugars and so on.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and I think it's great to see the the message being spread at that elite level because unfortunately the sponsors and the influence of the, often the dietitians have sort of led them to be in that position where their the bulk of their plate does come from refined carbohydrates, which can't make sense. I mean, I know they're active, so their requirements are greater than someone that's sedentary, but that doesn't mean that it can't come from whole food, which has all the other benefits that you've mentioned as well.
0: That's right. And I think... Uh... You know, there's been a lot of controversy as to whether a, a, a low-carb, high-fat diet, for instance, is is, uh, is suitable for for elite athletes. And uh, there has certainly been plenty of uh, athletes who've uh, uh, proposed that and uh, are following that. Uh, it tends to be uh, that the more endurance-type athletes, particularly the ultra-endurance athletes, and, and it, there seems to be a fair amount of evidence now that for an ultra-endurance athlete, um, it's uh, there are benefits to. Uh, switching from being a carbohydrate burner, if you like, to being a fat burner, because obviously you've got a lot more, uh, more fat available for, uh, for uh, storage. Uh, I've had uh, one athlete who's just completed a uh, 100-kilometer run. Now, you might think that's a little bit crazy. It probably is, but uh, they have a 100-kilometer run in the Blue Mountains every year, mm-hmm. and uh, he just uh, finished that um, totally uh, on a low-carb, high-fat diet in the whole, I think it took him 13 hours. And he said he had half a banana uh, during the race, and uh, no other uh, nutrition required. And uh, he was able to cope perfectly well at that, you know, reasonably sort of lowish intensity level for a long period of time. So I think those types of, uh, of competitions, uh, you know, ultra endurance sort of stuff, can uh, benefit greatly from uh, from lots of uh, lots of fats and reducing your carbohydrates. The more interesting question is the sort of shorter events um things like team sports you know, like uh, various football codes or, or basketball or netball or, or whatever and, uh, and and there have been people playing around with different levels of, uh, of carbohydrates and fats in that uh, I know a number of the uh, the AFL clubs for instance have looked into uh, into this and they've looked into um, doing their training on a, on a low carb high fat uh, diet so during the week they'll uh, they'll severely limit the amount of carbs that they have. And then just before the night before and on game day, they'll top up with some uh, some carbs to help them with uh, energy, and that's called a uh, uh, train train low, compete high sort of a uh, process. So that's becoming quite popular in sports. So we're still, uh, you know, the jury is still out a little bit on on which sports and uh, and which types of activities benefit most from uh, uh, or could benefit from a, a low carb, high fat diet. And I suspect there's a fair amount of individual variation. Um, I think some of these footballers and so on seem to be fine, uh, full-time on a low-carb, high-fat diet. Others will tell you that no, when they really need to up the intensity of the exercise, they feel as though they need to draw on some, uh, some carbohydrate fuel, which is fine. So, uh, you know, I think that's uh, a fascinating area of research and, and we'll hear a lot more about that over the next few years, but it's, uh, it's certainly something to look into
1: yeah and I think the great thing about lchf is it's that it's that spectrum you know we know that an elite footballer that's metabolically healthy that's doing lots of high intensity training can you know they have a bigger budget for whole food carbohydrates and I think that's important that you know they don't need to be down around the twenty grams a day like a di- diabetic would be oh, okay. um, it can be quite detrimental to their to their performance and we've seen with um with the demons, how they originally went paleo. And, you know, one of those myths about paleo is that it's low carb when it doesn't have to be, but it's seen as that way in comparison to the food pyramid. And they all felt, you know, fairly amazing um, initially. And then some of them were suffering at the top end. But obviously you can scale your carbohydrate intake upwards, especially after you've done that what we call a hard reset you know you did your 13 weeks and as you said it was you know quite restrictive with just the the indulgence for red wine and dark chocolate but most people then find they can open up the window and at the right time the strategic intake of carbohydrates from whole foods can be really beneficial
0: yeah that's uh, <clears throat> that's right that's been, been my experience and uh you know i think that's uh that's a good way to go. I mean, it, we haven't even touched on insulin resistance, but it really depends on their degree of insulin resistance. Yeah. As you said, I mean, if you're significant, severely insulin resistant, you're already a type 2 diabetic and so on, yeah, obviously you've got to severely limit your, your carbohydrate intake. Most young people, athletes, are probably pretty insulin sensitive, and uh, while they shouldn't be having massive amounts of carbohydrate because of the long term sort of uh, prospects of that, they're certainly, uh, you know, they're fine with 100 grams of, of carbohydrates and so on. So, yeah. you know, it's that uh, balance. It's a very individual thing. And I think the, the, you know, the main factor is just that degree of, of insulin resistance and uh, which increases, uh, you know, over time and uh, probably, you know, the vast majority of young people are, are reasonably insulin sensitive and I think the vast majority of, of older people are not. So, yeah. uh you know we've got to be uh, be aware of that and uh, and and just tailor the diet for uh, for the individual's needs. And uh, you know I I know what uh, in my experience you know I was probably very low carb for that first three months and uh, and now I just sit in a comfortable. I've never even measured the amount of carbs I have, but I'm, I'm probably about somewhere between fifty and eighty grams of carbs a day. Um, you know have the odd uh, the odd treat, um, but uh, you know generally reasonably. Uh, Reasonably well, what people would call strict, but I mean, I I don't find it difficult at all. I find uh, you know the the low carb diet. I mean, I I really enjoy my food and I eat very well and and uh, um, you know I can eat you know anywhere and I haven't yet been to a restaurant where I haven't been able to find something that's uh, that's reasonably uh, low carb, high fat, and healthy. So it's not as difficult as people make out, and yeah. uh, I think the degree of, of carbohydrates is just a very individual thing depending on uh, on your degree of insulin resistance.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Very relative. So just one more question on how you practice in clinic. Do you just get um, the like do you support the individual to work out what they need, or do you use those blood markers to look at their level of insulin resistance or carbohydrate intolerance?
0: Look, it's a, a bit of a combination of, yeah. of the two. I mean it all depends on the individual. You know, if they are a you know, middle aged uh, person with abdominal obesity and, and, you know, fatty liver and so on, well then, you know, I'll uh I'll uh, you know, encourage them to be fairly strict initially and so on. So yeah. it, it's just treating the individual, I think. And, uh, you know, yes, I use blood tests uh, as part of what uh, what I do, um, but also, you know, looking at the individual themselves and what their uh, what their concerns are. Is it weight? Is it, uh, you know, family history of diabetes? Is it their, their liver problems? You know, is it uh, concerns about cardiovascular disease and so on? And a lot of people are very confused about the whole cholesterol thing. You know, I, spent trying, I spend a lot of my time... Trying to explain that uh, you know the, the cholesterol conundrum, if you like, and uh, and reassure them that uh, you know there are probably more important measures than uh, than your total cholesterol and. Uh, I really focus on on triglyceride levels and HDL levels and uh, they're they're the important ones uh, to me and so on. So, you know, a lot of it is, uh, a lot of my time is spent uh, trying to explain the the complexities and it's a very complex, I mean the whole cholesterol thing is incredibly complex and uh, um, but I try and sort of keep it reasonably, uh, you know, simple and straightforward and uh, spend a lot of time talking to my patients about those sort of issues.
1: Yeah, we had um, Ken Sakaris on the show just a couple of weeks ago, who I know, I'm sure you know from Low Carb yes. Down Under.
0: Yeah, a great man, yeah. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And it was a fantastic episode. We had so much positive feedback about people who really, you know, finally sort of, I guess, could appreciate that that total cholesterol message is 30 years out of date. And then we can look at our TC to HDL um, ratio and, and other markers, as you say, with the triglycerides. Yep. So. Great to hear that, um, you know, obviously that message is continuing to be spread and um, if we can, obviously you working with your GPs and and Ken at the pathology level, um, you know, things will keep on changing and heading in the right direction.
0: Yeah, like I hope so because, you know, as I said, the science is there and, uh, you know, unfortunately the, 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 you know, uh, the lack of science uh, for the, the original guidelines has is, is now been sort of highlighted and, uh, and people are starting to realise that, uh, you know, the whole basis of, of everything that we've done for the last 30 years was, uh, was, was based on, on very flimsy or, or virtually no, no science at all, had, had more to do with, uh, with money as, as usual. And, uh, yeah. and people are starting to slowly realise that, but it's a, as we've said, it's a battle and we've got to keep battling away and uh, mm. you guys are doing a great job, uh, you know, promoting this sort of uh, stuff. I think it's really important and I congratulate you on it. It's good. Oh,
1: thank you very much. Um, so I just wanted to just touch more on um, the sugar campaign that you've got coming up. I believe it's um, August now. But tell us a little bit more about um, what you're doing there, and maybe where we can find out more. Um.
0: Sure. Look, what what concerned me, uh, you know, I, I had a conversation with with some people at the end of last year, and and uh, and I said, look, you know, there are there are all these sort of good people out there talking about uh, about you know, diet and, and uh, you know, and talking very sensible stuff. But they're all giving slightly different messages. You know, it's, as you mentioned, it's paleo and it's low carb and it's low GI and it's Mediterranean and it's this and it's that and so on. And, uh, and the, it's all basically the same message, but it's all a little bit different. And, and I felt that uh, all we were doing really is confusing people. And a lot of people would, would sort of come to me and say, "Oh, look, I'm so confused about what I should be eating now. You know, is fat okay now? You know, can I eat fruit? Can I eat red meat? And all those sort of issues that uh, that people have been talking about." And I just felt the the message is sort of being being uh, diluted and lost as a result of that. And um, and I thought, well, you know, the one thing that everyone agrees on is, is sugar. Um, and uh, you know, the, even the doctors, the dietitians, and all these sort of different groups will all agree that uh, that sugar is a, is an issue. And I thought, well, rather than trying to sort of change everything at once, why don't we just, what, you know, what about if we got all these different groups to come together under one banner and say, look, we're not going to talk about anything other than, than sugar as far as this campaign goes. It's focus totally on reducing the amount of added sugar. And uh, so I went around and started talking to all these different uh, groups. And to my surprise, everyone was incredibly supportive and, and positive and said, yeah, yeah, you know, we really uh, agree with that and we, we're happy to support it and, and you know we'll put our sort of stuff in the background for the moment and support your what, uh, what you're doing. So we've had enormous uh, support and we've sort of been building this, uh, this coalition. I think with any campaign it's good to have a, a, a target. So we're, we're talking about uh, the campaign is called Sugar by Half and the aim is to reduce the amount of added sugar uh, that the average Australian takes which, as you mentioned before, is, is, it's debatable what it is, but it's somewhere around 16, 20 uh, teaspoons of sugar a day. We reduce that by half, which brings it down under the sort of uh, the, the WHO-recommended uh, guidelines. And uh, we know that uh, teenage boys, for instance, have a much, much higher uh, incidence and so on. So I think a, a target like that is, uh, is quite good. So we're just in the process of developing that, camp- that campaign uh, at the moment. Uh, as I said, we've got a whole bunch of uh, people uh, working on it. Um, we haven't uh, sort of gone live yet with the websites or anything like that. We're going to have a, a major sort of launch at the end of August. Um, we'll have a big uh, Sugar Awareness Week in the media and, and social media and uh, of the support of a lot of uh, different people around the country. So it's uh, just something to keep in the back of your mind and uh, yes. when you do hear it in, uh, in August, you'll say, oh, yeah, that's that, uh, that sugar campaign and, uh, you know, I'd appreciate everyone's uh, support to get that message out there uh, when we, uh, we start campaigning in, in late August.
1: For sure. I'll chat to you off air as to how I can get involved but we'll definitely keep um, our listeners up to date with what's going on and we'll get you back on the show when things are live and um, we can find out a little bit more information.
0: That'll be great. I look forward to that.
1: Amazing. All right, Peter, it's been fantastic to hear your story and obviously to to continue to share this message. We're really grateful for all that you do and I'll link up some of the other um, articles and podcasts that you've been involved with. I know... You speak for Low Carb Down Under and you've been on the Jimmy Moore Show and you're doing a lot to spread this message. So I'll get our listeners across those. Um, and thank you again for your time.
0: Uh, my pleasure, Steph, and keep up the good work.
1: Thanks again, Peter.
0: Bye.